Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! Hey everybody, welcome to another Search for Truth podcast episode. I am Pastor Young, and uh, in this episode, we're going to continue talking about the doctrine. Um, there's, there's a lot of different places we could go, okay? Uh, there's, there's yet so much more to cover. Uh, but today, um, I want to take apart two more uh, arguments if I have time, hopefully I can get to both of them. Uh, but two more Trinitarian uh, perspectives, uh, I guess you could say, uh, that are misleading, that are tradition speaking about Scripture rather than Scripture speaking for itself. Uh, we've come a long way, and we have a long way yet to go. I would imagine that this season is probably going to be longer than my other seasons, just because whenever you're Whenever you're talking about the doctrine, uh, this is the most important topic. This is the most important. Doctrine refers to how we are saved. And uh, if we have a misunderstanding of who God is, then uh, the rest of the doctrine cannot be supported. Um, I, something I think is, is important for me to... Uh, and and I, I, I think you'll notice I spend a minute or two or ten... <laughs> at the beginning of each of these episodes, making sure that everyone understands that if it seems like I'm targeting uh, the Trinitarian doctrine, it's because I am. I am targeting the, the Trinitarian doctrine. I'm not targeting the individuals that believe it. I'm not targeting the, the Trinitarian itself or themself, themselves, but I am targeting the traditions that have been repeated without searching the scriptures. Uh, I'm targeting uh, a doctrine, not a, not a believer. I'm targeting the fact that this is doctrine that was not created or written in the Bible, but rather it was a doctrine that was created by man in 325 AD in a thing called the Council of Nicaea. And I'll get to discussing more on that in a future episode. But something I want you to take note of uh, as we begin looking at these uh, two more misconceptions. Something I want you to take note of is what's interesting is uh, the inventions of man can be dissected. Uh, The inventions of man, maybe I should say instead of dissected, the, uh, the inventions of man can be deconstructed. If I built something, I can tear it down. But what is so interesting is that when you come, when you, when it gets to something that has been not man-made, but something that has been made by God, it's a lot more difficult to take it apart. Uh, 
in science class, although I was probably napping, I, I was awake for one or two lectures and I do remember uh, you know, taking a moment's pause whenever uh, the teacher said that matter, you know, the, the thing, the existence, matter, cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed per se. It, uh, energy cannot be created or destroyed. We, can, we store it up and we transfer it. Or uh, when it comes to matter, we manipulate that which, which already exists. But it is simply because God created all, all of that matter. And whenever the Lord creates something, it can be manipulated, but it cannot be deconstructed, nor can it be destroyed. And so likewise, if we run across a man-made doctrine, we can deconstruct it. We can take it apart. We can prove it wrong. We can destroy it. But if it is a doctrine that is made by God, all it can be done is manipulated. All it, be do all it can be done is, is passed through, transferred from one area to another. It cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. And so this, if it seems as if my, uh, my sights have been so uniquely on the Trinitarian perspective of doctrine, it is simply because um, it is a man-made doctrine. It's something that, that God did not say about himself. It's something that man or tradition has said about God. And uh, it is important that Scripture will stand on its own. Scripture will stand for itself, and this is why episode after episode. I'm not talking to you about what historians have said. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to you even about what commentators or theologians have said, what the commentary says about the Bible. I am trying to allow the Bible to speak about the Bible. There is no greater authority in the world than Scripture. There is no And so, uh, I was reading a book one time, and this is a, this is a great book recommendation. If you want to pause and if you want to jot this down, order this book. Um, it is by Kevin D. Young, and uh, I, I really like that guy. Not just because his last name is D. Young, but uh, the title of this book is Taking God at His Word. Taking God at His Word by Kevin D. Young. And uh, fantastic book, and it's about the authority of Scripture, the power of Scripture. And something that Kevin D. Young says in his writing is, um, you cannot take some other book to verify Scripture because Scripture is the highest authority. And so, uh, and so the only thing that you can use to verify Scripture is Scripture. Uh, it, we would have to stoop down to something that is imperfect, something like the tradition of man, in order to try to confirm Scripture. We don't need that. Scripture confirms itself. And so, uh, today we're going to get into it. Um, hey, be, be looking out for, uh, for the new segment that is coming on this podcast. I want to be clear. I've had some folks that have reached out to me. Um, sorry about not dropping the episode earlier this week. It's just uh, we're in a frozen tundra here in Kansas. And uh, <laughs> hopefully... Uh, Hopefully, wherever you are, uh, you're all right, and hopefully you've got uh, electricity. We're praying for those in Texas right now that are frozen over. Uh, I saw somebody 
that said, uh, you know, don't be, don't be so down on the folks in the South and how they're handling the cold weather. It's just that it's so rare for them to experience weather like this. It's, it's so rare. And they said, it's almost as rare as a football championship being won by somebody in the North. So uh, there's that. <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of that being from the South. But uh, we're, we're praying for you if you're out there, if you're listening and you're still covered in ice trying to thaw out. Um, I, I mean it when I say I am praying for you. Um, I want to give a shout out to all of my listeners uh, and tell you that I love you dearly. And that is why I'm continuing to, to teach and continuing. Um, uh, oh, one more thing. One more thing. Uh, or two more things. Uh, we did hit our goal of a thousand listeners. So if you have been sharing my podcast, uh, man, thank you so much. I, uh, whenever I first began and I saw that, you know, the episode would have six plays, seven plays, it was, uh, it was heartbreaking because of how much work and effort I put into these. And now to see that our numbers are actually past the thousand mark, we're headed, we're headed north of 1100 people. Um, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful and I'm not going to exploit that. I'm not going to add, you know, ads or advertisements or anything like that to get paid. I literally just want the Word of God to go as far as possible. So please continue sharing and also look for the new uh, segment on this podcast. People have asked me, uh, you know, hey, what's the name of your wife's podcast? It is still going to be the Search for Truth podcast, but we're going to air these new segments where she is uh, going to take apart uh scripture and, and, and really, really take a close look at it, uh, from more of a devotional standpoint. And, uh, that'll be dropping this week actually. So you can be looking for that. Let's get into the word. Everybody get your Bibles out. And the first great misconception that we're going to take apart today is the idea of where Jesus is positioned in the Godhead. Okay. Uh, this is, this is extremely important because what tradition has said, not scripture, but what tradition has said is that, is that from the very, very beginning, the sun was in existence, uh, f- who knows, floating around in the ether up there, and that the Father, which as we discussed last time, who according to uh, early on in, in the Gospels, the Father who, you know, never fathered anything or anybody if, if, the, if the Father and the Holy Ghost are separate created all of these things and then and then the Holy Ghost who knows when he shows up you know that's these these things cannot be <laughs> but according to according to this you know tradition we have three co-equal co-eternal uh, Beings or identities, all making up uh, the God that we know and love. As I have said in the past, I don't understand quite why um, they have ever stopped at three. Uh, maybe two. Maybe maybe the Father and the Son, and understanding that the Father and the Holy Ghost are one. I might could get I might could get behind or at least give some uh, some empathy in understanding, uh, thinking that thinking or believing in two. Maybe. Uh, again, if you have consulted my first episode of the season, God has always been one. If you, if you reconcile the fact that God does not change and he was one 
uh, all the way back in Deuteronomy, one all the way back in creation, then he has to be one today, then you know we, we still can't get with that. But but why is it that that uh, he that that they if, if if they can accept that he there's multiple, uh, why stop at three? Why not why not say that since he is the lion of the tribe of Judah that makes four? Or uh, since he's the balm of Gilead, that makes five. The rose of Sharon, that's six. The lily of the valley, that's seven. The bright and morning star, that's eight. Uh, the alpha, that's nine. The omega, that's ten. Why is it that that whenever he talks about himself being the father, they have to make that a separate entity rather than just saying, well, yet he's describing himself in this way. Or that whenever he describes himself as the son, that that has to be a separate entity rather than him describing that way himself that way. Or the Holy Spirit shall come in my name, that that has to be a separate entity rather than yet another way of him describing himself to us. The position that Jesus has is going to be of utmost importance. Again, we're going to let Scripture speak for itself. Uh, there was a man by the name of Brother Mahoney, no, Mahoney, no, Mahaney, there we go, Charles Mahaney, and uh, he uh, uh, he cracked me up one time. He said, he, he was talking to the young preachers, and he said, you know what? He said, uh, if you'll let it, that that Bible will shed a whole lot of light on those commentaries. <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of that because so many people prioritize what other people have said about Scripture rather than allowing Scripture to speak. So we're going to do that, Okay. So, first, uh, I would take us to Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 2, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but uh, I just, you know, I'm just wanting to talk about a little bit of this. Revelation 4 and 2, this is after a door was opened, he heard the voice of a trumpet saying, come up hither, and in verse 2, and immediately... I, John, was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. It's interesting to me that uh, that if there were three, I would think there would be three thrones if they are co-equal. Uh, I would think there would be three thrones if there were if they were co-eternal. Or 12 thrones, or, or you know, 55 thrones, or however many, you know, that he's, whatever office, you know, however many offices you wanted to form into new identities of God. Uh, but whenever John is called into the heavens, he sees one throne, and he sees one seated on the throne. Now, what is interesting here is that is that John sees somebody sitting on the throne. We have description of how he sees the glorified Christ, you know, and you can consult uh, Revelation 1, 2. You can consult that and, and look at that. You know, the feet were like brass as it had been burned in the oven. And, and uh, you know, he spoke with the voice of many waters and, and he had uh, eyes like fire and hair white like wool and, you know, John saw this kind of terrifying, really terrifying version of the same Jesus that he walked with and did not recognize him. Well, did this mean that that there is a fourth one, or what you know, 
or a tenth one or whatever. Is this, is this a yet another co-equal God that John saw? No, it was the same God. It was the same, uh, the same thing as Jesus was on earth, but he is, he is seeing a different side of him. He's seeing, if you've ever wondered, uh, this, I'm, I'm trying not to get off topic here, but in the book of Revelation, and in the book of uh, Ezekiel in chapter 1, we see that uh, you know, there are these four faces of God that are discussed. Um, that you know, the, the Lord has this, this one side of him as the ox, you know, the, the, the beast of burden that would carry the burdens of us all. Uh, another side of him is the lion, you know, the lion that roars out of the, out of, uh, uh, the mountains, the, the lion that roars uh, from Zion as, as the book of Amos talks about. We see uh, he has the face of the eagle, you know, the one that sees beyond where we can see. And he has finally the fourth face, the, four, the, the face of a man, uh, his humanity to become numbered among the transgressors. These are four faces uh, of who God is that's described again in Revelation and in Ezekiel. You can research that for yourself. But notice how those never receive um, the position or the authority or whatever of having themselves called a, a separate uh, form of God or a separate uh, entity of God. They don't have, a, they're, they, they're, they're not attributed a separate center of consciousness or anything like that. We're able to accept the fact that these are just four ways that Ezekiel and John are describing God. Uh, likewise, whenever he sees, again, the, the glorified version of Christ, the, the hair white like wool, the eyes of fire, the voice of many waters, nobody, nobody thinks that this is yet another God that is up there, but we are able to accept the fact that this is, this is uh, God revealing himself to us uh, in, this, in this glorified way. The Lord could, the Lord could, sh could choose whatever, uh, whatever form he wanted to, to reveal himself to us. And, and here we're going to start digging, okay? Again, John saw somebody on the throne. So my question, I guess, would be, who did he see on the throne? Okay. Now, some would say, I guess he saw the Father. Uh, the Trinitarian perspective would say that John saw the Father sitting on the throne. And according to Trinitarian um, tradition, they would say, and the Son seated at his right hand. And I know if you're listening to this and you have that perspective, you're probably ready to reach through your speaker and, and, and kill me. But uh, because we, we do have these scriptures um, like uh, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and, uh, and let's see, let's go to verse 3, Hebrews 1 and 3. It's talking about his son, Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, and look at this, the express image of his person. Jesus was the express image of his person or personality and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I know that vein is throbbing in your head and you're saying, see, that proves it right there. Well, here's the issue. And, and for my for my people that are oneness, for my people that come to this from the apostolic perspective, if you've ever been thrown off by someone saying, how can you say that the Father and the Son are one and the same, 
if we have scriptures like this saying that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen carefully. Take note here. Okay? We, we can't remove this from Scripture that Hebrews 1 and 3 says that after he purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We, we can't take that out. I don't want to take it out. Nobody wants to remove this from Scripture. But what I do know is if there, is, if there are two places in Scripture that seem to conflict with one another, then the issue is not going to be in, scripture, in uh, the Scripture but it's going to be in the issue is going to be an interpretation of scripture. We've got to allow our interpretation to let the scripture speak for itself and confirm itself rather than to, rather than to conflict with itself. So, I've got to use scripture to explain this, not tradition. All right? So let's do that. Uh, how could Jesus be seated on the right hand of God unless they are separate, unless the Son and the Father are not one and the same? Well, Let's use some scripture, okay? Uh, let's perhaps, first of all, we're, you know, I've, I've thrown a couple things out. Let's start, let's start confirming and, you know, let's start connecting some dots here. Um, why not three thrones? Uh, why, why is it that, that, you know, why is it that what John sees, if you're going to say it's the Father, then why not also see uh, you know, a son on a throne and, and the Spirit or the Holy Ghost on a throne. Especially, let's, let's use a scripture like uh, Isaiah 42 and 8. Isaiah 42 and 8. He says, uh, I'm reading the NLT. KJV says pretty similar to this. I am the Lord. That is my name. And he says, I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. He says very clearly, I will not share my glory with anyone else. KJV says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So he is saying that, again, you remember from the first episode, Isaiah is full, full of scriptures that say, beside me there is no other, right? Uh, I am the Lord alone. He said, I created this alone. And here he says, I share my glory with no one else. So, uh, you know, maybe that's why there's not three thrones. So, so at bare minimum, they can't be co-equal if they're separate. All right. But, but let's, again, let's take a look at why or how could Jesus be seated on the right hand of the Father? And yet, uh, you know, that, that has to prove that they're separate, right? Wrong. Watch this. Go to John chapter 4, 24. We know he won't share his glory with another. Uh, but check this out. John 4 and 24. It says, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This, this, is, a, this is a bold statement here. It's not very deep, but, but I, I'm trying to lay some framework here. God is a spirit, or the original would say God is spirit. Okay? Now, now, what do we know about a spirit? What do we know about spirits? Well, we know that spirits don't have forms to them. We know that spirits uh, do, not, do not have flesh and blood. Uh, and, and again, if that vein is starting to throb, let's use scripture. 
Okay? All I'm saying is what is in Scripture. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. Okay? I'll come back to this passage a little bit later again, uh, <laughs> looking at the time in our next episode. But Luke 24, 36. This is shortly after the resurrection, and the disciples are debating about whether or not, you know, all of this is true. Verse 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now that would, oh my goodness, that would freak you out. Hey, if you, if you started praying, and in the middle of your prayer, poof, a man appears and says, Peace, y'all. You would be scared to death. And, and I'm in Scripture, verse 37, But they were terrified and affrightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Well, Jesus wants to make sure that we don't have this misconception about seeing a spirit. Verse 38, And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, take a look, he says, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. And then look at what he says. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. You see that? He said, a spirit has not flesh and bones, okay? The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So again, this is saying that no man has seen God at any time. Jesus said about himself, Spirit has not flesh and bones like you see in me, and we know that God is spirit. So what this tells me is that that. If, you, if there is one that is seated on the throne, and if Jesus is at his right hand, we have an issue here if it is physically or geographically at the right hand of a spirit. Why? Because spirit has no flesh and bone, like Jesus said. God is a spirit, and no man has seen God at any time. What this tells me is that the Spirit of God, or as many would say, the Father, if it were separate, if the Father were separate from the Son, then we would have to have a right side for Jesus to sit on. But what we know, since, it has no, since the Spirit of God has no flesh and bone, as Jesus said, there is no right side of a spirit. You see, folks, this is why, this is why we can declare that God is omnipresent. Why? Because He fills all space, all time. He fills the earth right? The earth is full of God, right? The, this is why David could say, if I go in, you know, to, to the far side of Antarctica, there you'll be. And if I make my bed in the belly of hell, your spirit will already be there waiting on me. How is it that, that he could say things like that other than the fact that the spirit of God has no boundaries? And if it has no boundaries, then it has no right side, left side, front side, in front, on top of, there, there's, there's, no, there's no place, there's no place that God would end on the throne in order for Jesus to be sitting physically on his right hand. He, there is no right hand. Jesus, if, if, if the Spirit of God, being separate from Jesus, according to them, was, was uh, seated on the throne, Okay, then, then and, and if he is omnipresent, and I've never heard anybody make an argument with God being omnipresent, but if Jesus was physically sitting on his right hand, 
and the Spirit of God is omnipresent, then Jesus would also be sitting on his left hand. Jesus would also be sitting in front of him, behind him, on top of him. <laughs> you get the picture here? What this tells us, if you're seated on the right hand of a spirit that has no flesh and bone, that has no, no uh, boundaries, that has no physical location, then that tells me that, that this, is, this must be speaking not geographically, uh, making them separate, but it is speaking authoritatively or speaking, this is, this is speaking in a way that describes the place that Jesus holds, the authority that Jesus holds. We know very well that the right hand is the hand of power. It's the right, the right hand is the place of authority. Okay, so let's, let's let Scripture speak for itself now, okay? We know, and, and by the way, pass this through, this through the lens of the Scripture I opened with, that he says, I will not share my glory with another. Look at, look at uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians and two, 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, form, form of God, Form there, if you're taking notes, is this Greek word morphe, M-O-R-P-H-E, morphe or morphe. And this is described as the form by which a person or thing strikes the vision or the external appearance. It is the manifestation. It is the nature. And so what, the, what this says is, who being the manifestation of God, see, the, the body of Jesus Christ is the only way that God could ever have a right or a left hand or anything like that. Previously, previous to the conception uh, of Mary and the birth of Jesus, the, the Spirit of God uh, filled all places and, uh, and likewise still does because God is able to reveal Himself in whatever form He wants to to us. Uh, Notice that on the day of Pentecost, you know, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we know the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal body. It is within you. Paul said, we hold these treasures in earthen vessels that the Spirit of God is within us. That's, that is saying that that Spirit that is omnipresent, that has no left or right hand, is now within my body. What? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? So... Likewise, and, and one more, by the way, in John 1 and 14, that it says, and that word became flesh. That, that word, morphe, morphe, that, that word uh, was manifested in the flesh. Not that, it, not that it produced a separate entity, but, it, uh, but, that, but that the Spirit of God chose to be numbered among the transgressors, so put on flesh upon himself. Verse 7 of Philippians 2, but made him of himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God uh, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. If it is a name that is above every name, and in this name, every knee shall bow in heaven, in heaven, in earth, and under the, and under the earth. That means that Jesus has been given this right hand symbolically of authority. 
it is not his place uh, geographically. It is his place positionally. It is his place. Uh, it is his place in uh, in his authority. Uh, furthermore, check this out. This is pretty cool. I found that that um, that scripture tells us that Jesus was also not just God. He, yes, he was God, but he was also a high priest of things to come, right? We, you can read Hebrews chapter 9 and you can talk about you can or you can read about uh, you know how Jesus uh, took on the role of high priest, but nobody tries to create the high priest as some separate entity of God, making it, you know, four instead of three or whatever, because we're able to reconcile and understand the fact that he can take whatever form he wants to he can, uh, he can show himself as a lamb if he wants. He can show himself as a dove if he wants. He can show us, and and but but in order to redeem us, it took the it took uh, purpose. It took intention, and that had to come in the form of man uh, that he robed himself in flesh. Well, check this out. Seated on the right hand of God, uh, positionally, in authority, it is also his what role he took on. And as I said, Jesus also took on the role of high priest. Well, check this out. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, 9 told us that Jesus was the high priest. And, and, and watch this. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 11. And every what? priest, Hebrews 10 and 11, and every priest does what? Stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This refers to back in Leviticus and, and back in the time of the Torah, it was recorded that the priests were not allowed to sit down in their ministry. Okay. But we know that Jesus was called the high priest in Hebrews 9, and Hebrews 10 and 11 says every priest stands daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifice. Verse 12, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, did what? Sat down on the right hand of God. Whew, oh my goodness. Folks, do you realize what I just read? You see, the reason why the priesthood was not allowed to sit down early in the Torah it was because their ministry was never completed. It was because, like he, like the writer of Hebrews just said, they're offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And so those priests had to continue standing because the ministry was never completed. But this, what this tells us, not tradition, what Scripture says to us is Jesus sitting down in this position was more even than just his taking the authority that he had, uh, that he gave unto himself, spirit giving unto the manifestation of himself, the flesh. It's far more than that. He was seated in majesty, seated upon this throne, upon the right hand of the throne, because it also symbolized the completion of the sacrificial work of himself as the lamb for sinners slain and as the high priest in Hebrews 9 and in now in Hebrews 10. So, look, I only got to take apart one of these, one of these uh, you know, misconceptions 
Jesus being seated in the right on the right hand of God cannot be geographical because God is a spirit. God has no flesh and bone in in uh, in the spiritual form, so there cannot be a right hand geographically for Jesus to sit upon. But rather, Jesus being seated at the right hand of the throne of God, there's a reason why there's only one throne. There's a reason why there's only one that sits upon it. There's a reason why John only saw one. There's a reason why Jesus is able to describe himself as when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's a reason why Colossians 2 and 9 says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily within him. It was more than just the Father, more than just the Son, more than just the Holy Ghost, but within Him was all the fullness of the Godhead. Within Him was the line of the tribe of Judah. Within Him was the kinsman redeemer. Within Him was the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the lamb for sinners slain, the high priest of things to come. Within Him there were all of these facets, all of these ways of Him revealing Himself to us. Within that body, there was the lion, the eagle, the man, uh, the ox. Within him was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Within him, because that spirit, omnipresent spirit of God, needed a temple, needed a vessel to inhabit, to come and to save us. Offer himself upon the altar of the cross and then present present his own blood in the heavenly tabernacle upon the mercy seat that is in the heavenlies to redeem us all. And now he is seated, not geographically, but he is seated in position. He's seated in authority and he is seated in the finality. There's a reason why whenever he was about to give up the ghost, he cried out, it is finished. That statement, it is finished or it is paid in full was a statement saying, the priesthood is finished. The priesthood is completed. My, my earthly ministry is done and your sins are paid for in full. You see, him seated on the right hand of God it is something so much more powerful. It's something so much more influential to all of us rather than a, just a geographical setting. Tradition would have you believe that it's just proof that the Son and the Father are separate. But I, I'm allowing Scripture to speak for itself. He said, I will share my glory with no one else. Nobody else is going to sit on my throne but me. And this is why Jesus can occupy that space on the throne. Because He is not only the Son of God, but He is the Spirit of God manifested, morphe, expressed in flesh. I hope this has blessed you all. Share this podcast with somebody, and next time we're going to talk about uh, one more Trinitarian misconception, maybe two, but I, it doesn't seem like I'm allowing myself to get more than one. Uh, but anyways, I'll, I'll talk to you guys next time. God bless you all. Love you in Jesus' name.